Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast with Ash Manuel. As we know, the number one hot topic in the world is mental well-being. Ash has worked with close to 1,000 organisations impacting more than a quarter of a million people, including schools, sports teams and businesses across 45 countries. Today, Ash is regarded as a global thought leader in positive education. In this podcast, you'll hear stories, information and actionable ideas from positive education and well-being experts. The purpose of the podcast is so that you take away ideas that you can execute in your classroom, across your school, at your sports club and in your organisation, plus tips and tricks that you can apply in your own life. Hi everyone, I'm Ash Manuel and today I'm talking with Valerie Groth, a social entrepreneur and experienced non-profit executive, Val is passionate about working with organisations whose mission lie at the intersection of innovation, impact, and purpose. After formerly working as a school social worker, she then served as founder and CEO of Ryan Banks Academy, a non-profit named after a former student of hers who was lost to gun violence and which focuses on mental health, trauma-informed care, and providing holistic support to students and their families. With master's degrees in social work and educational leadership, Val is also a certified life coach where she works with social workers, founders, educators, and other visionaries who wish to use their skills to make the world a better place. She's also an international speaker and the author of the book, The Power of the Possible, The Dire State of Inner City Education and One Woman's Revolution to Fix It, and recently completed the manuscript for a second book, a fictional thriller novel centered around social justice. Val has been honoured to receive accolades such as being chosen as a 2023 Alumni of the Year at the uh, MSW Alma Mater, being a featured guest on the Ellen DeGeneres Show for her work at Ryan Banks, being featured in the I Am Chicago campaign, as as well as in various media features, ranging from the Chicago Tribune to CBS and to NBC. Welcome, Val. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Now, Val, I just read out, um, or spoke about your, or gave you an in- introduction there, and I, but I'm just curious to know, um, tell us um, yeah, a bit more about your childhood, um, where you grew up, and I guess then the next step of how you got into social work originally. Yeah, that's a great question. I figured you'd take me back to maybe college, but childhood, that's fun. Okay. Oh, well, college, um, either way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can we can go way back. Um, I turned 40 this year, so that's like going back a few decades. Um, so I grew up in Indiana, and my parents uh, were both educators who had lived in the Peace Corps. Um, they lived in Morocco for a few years, right before I was born. And so when you ask about my childhood and what got me to social work, I think it's really like that intersection of my parents, um, like bringing their love of education and kind of giving back and trying to be in service to their community. Um, I just kind of grew up with that ethos just in my household, like in my DNA, um, always wanted to go in the Peace Corps, never got around to it. Maybe I will at some point. Um, but there was like always just that, that layer, um, to my childhood. Um, I will say, I, I didn't think I wanted to go into social work right away. When I was a kid, I really wanted to go into business. Like I, I was definitely like a little entrepreneur, um, from an early age. I used to go around and like sell vegetables from our garden to our neighbors and, and all these crazy ideas for inventions and like products that I wanted to make. And just love like innovating and like ideating and that whole process. Um, but the thing is, you know what? I didn't know any entrepreneurs. And so, you know, back in like the late nineties, when I was going to college, <laughs> excuse me, I, I just really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I, I went to school, I, I picked, gosh, I think maybe business was maybe my focus at first. And then I realized pretty quickly that business wasn't really about entrepreneurship, at least back in that day, it wasn't. 
Mm. Um, and it was like numbers and spreadsheets and, you know, like the things that I, I still to this day just don't enjoy doing <laughs> and no talk of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so I quickly got the hell out of business. Um, and I moved into studying psychology just because I, I found it really interesting. I had no idea what I wanted to do with that degree. Um, just found it really fascinating. Hmm. And then kind of fell into social work from there um, and went and got my my first master's in social work. Um, but yeah, like at that time, like it still, I think, had a lot of questions in terms of like what I wanted to actually spend my time doing. Um, I thought I wanted to go into gerontology and work with kind of the, the more elderly population. I just really enjoyed doing that. And then I fell into school social work kind of by happenstance. And that's how I ended up in my first job as a school social worker. And we can talk about kind of where things went from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think like the short answer though, is I fell into social work. I keep saying fell into, but I, it, it did kind of feel like almost, um, like an unintentional path. Like I yeah. just kind of landed in social work. Um, because I really was kind of aimless and didn't have a better path towards entrepreneurship. And I don't know, I just kind of, it's interesting. I think kids these days have so many more options in front of them with like the internet, things that yeah. we didn't have back then, you know, let alone TikTok yeah. and all the different resources out there. Um, and I think it's so cool that kids these days know they have so many more options and opportunities to like create jobs for themselves or create an entire career path for themselves or do apprenticeships or internships to learn about things. But at that time it felt very, very binary, like, well, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be in business. So like, I guess I'll study psychology, you know, and maybe that was the failing of the school system that I went to, but it, it definitely felt like there weren't a lot of choices back in the day. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And there's so many more opportunities for, for, um, young people now coming through to basically you can basically do what you want now like and it's probably achievable um in many aspects um so just going back to the psychology you actually completed your psychology degree and then did your master's in social work is that right yes my bachelor's is in psychology yeah um and then i went on to get a master's in social work yes oh, yeah it's a really interesting story actually because i can resonate with that as well like my um family or my dad was a teacher uh, my mum was in education as well, more the younger years, like with kindergartens. Um, and I didn't want to be a teacher either. Um, or mm -hmm. My goal was to be a professional sports person. Um, and that didn't quite work out the way I hoped. But then in, at the end, I ended up yeah, doing going down the same path and ended up being involved in education, mm -hmm. um, being a physical education teacher. So it's quite interesting in how we, um, the path that we go down and where we end up going. And I always ask that question, when I'm running a workshop with teachers is uh, who put your hand up here. If you always wanted to be a teacher and not many actually really put their hand up. There's, there's always a couple that do put their hand up, but quite often they um, start or have the intention of starting out um, wanting to do something else, but then um, end up in education for whatever reason that is. But um, yeah, really um, interesting. Uh, thanks for showing that. Now I want to get straight into how you became or how you became founder and CEO of Ryan Banks Academy. Now, it just blows my mind that you actually founded a school um, and I wouldn't have a clue how you actually go about like, being a founder of a school for a start. So can you just tell us how how the idea came about for the Ryan Banks Academy? Um, maybe that's a good place to start. Then we could perhaps go in how you'd actually go about starting a school. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, when I was actually still in grad school, my first internship was in the school system here in Chicago. And I really quickly saw that there was, um, just a disparity in terms of the access to mental health resources. Yep. <laughs> I'm so sorry for the cough. Um, I, I wrote my, um, kind of thesis at that time around wanting to build a residential school for uh, students in Chicago who are experiencing homelessness. Yep. So very early, I had this idea for a school where I could kind of design the curriculum in a way that I thought really met their more social emotional needs and mental health needs. 
And when I started working formally, like finished my master's degree, was working full time, I really loved it at first. Um, and there, I remember thinking like, I, I'm going to retire in this job. I really love the school setting. I love the families and the kids. But again, really got frustrated seeing that the, just the, the lack of access to resources that I thought our kids yep. should have. Yep. Um, I was one social worker to um, about two and sometimes three schools. So up to a thousand kids on, wow. you know, kind of one caseload. Yep. And what the ratio should be according to the National Association for School Social Workers is one in 250. And that's for a really well-resourced school. For a less resource school, like where I was at, it should be one in 40. So when you think about oh, one social cool. worker to a thousand kids, it's like, okay, not even close to quality service delivery. So, so I started Sorry, to sorry can I ask a question about that? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, please, <laughs> yeah. How, how do you, like, if you've got, if you've got one to a thousand, how do you prioritize and how do you go about trying to, I guess, implement things at the school or can't you, how, how does, how did you actually go about that to try to, I guess, do your best really? Yeah. I mean, so my, my job on paper, like what I was, I was hired to do was to work with specific students who were on my caseload who had IEPs. So, you know, there, there was a set number of kids who I had to, by law, kind of spend time with and document. Yep. And then there were all the students who weren't on an IEP caseload, but who still would like come to my door and, and ask for support or, you know, had um, something tra traumatizing happen the day before and really needed support. So there's there was kind of almost a triage system of you were supposed to be serving the kids with IEPs, but you know, if someone comes to school and they had witnessed a homicide the night before, you drop everything and you work with that child. Or I had a lot of students who had a suicidal life, of course, was a whole happens. And so again, you drop everything you're doing and you attend that one child and, and your caseload may or may not get served. And so that was really what I found really frustrating. Um, I loved doing some of the things not on my caseload too. Like I, yeah. I started to teach yoga and Pilates to my kids and meditation and I loved it. I, um, I took my students on a lot of field trips to visit colleges and career centers and, and doing things like that. And that I think gave me like, personal fulfillment, um, which selfishly, I think I was helpful to me because I did just feel, you know, I think you go into, I mean, you know, this uh, social work and education or, or nursing or whatever that, that, that world might be because you want to help and you want to make a difference. And yet in, in settings where the resources are so spread thin, you often feel really helpless. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, like for my own satisfaction, it was really good that I could do those little things like teaching yoga because I just found that really fulfilling and enjoyable. And I got to find those little moments of joy in my kids. And so that kind of kept me going actually for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. But that was also like, I, I kind of had an idea of like, let's build a better school. Let's build a school. You know, there was kind of a two-part idea. So part one, <laughs> excuse me, was focused on the mental health support and making yep. sure every student had access to a social worker. And then the bigger vision was I, I really wanted to be able to build housing too for students who, you know, had housing instability or who, um, you know, didn't have safe environments. I, a lot of students who had, um, you know, experienced violence in their community had, um, you know, a, a lot of those challenges going on. Um, and so eventually what happened was in 2012, one of my students was shot and killed. He was only 12. Oh. His name was Ryan Banks. And I had lost kids to gun violence before, and it was always really heartbreaking and, and horrible. Um, but Ryan was someone that I worked with really closely. His death just hit me really hard. And so when that happened, you know, previously, I just, I always thought I would go back to the idea of building a school when I was retired. I mean, it's, it sounds so silly now, but yeah. I really thought like one day it'll be the right time. I'll have the money sitting around. I'll have the time. I'll, I'll be retired. 
And when Ryan was killed, it kind of hit me. Uh, it just, you know, it's never going to be the right time to do that. And so that led to me pretty much quitting my job without a plan in place and, yep. and doing the things needed to get to school. But um, it's kind of wild to think about because, you know, I've, I don't know, like I, I mentioned, I I've always been someone that like has like ideas here and there, like when I was a kid, you know, wanting to make these silly inventions. Um, and, you know, it's, everyone has ideas and, you know, most of the time we don't actually act on those yeah. ideas or towards yep. those dreams. And in hindsight, it's kind of a crazy thing that I actually did. And it's interesting that I think looking back, had I known how hard it would be, I never would have had the guts to do it, to quit and to, <laughs> to start the school. Mm. But there's all the, like what I've, I've said this before, like there's so much value. I think of the like naivete that you have when you're starting something new yeah. and when you don't know what you don't know and you don't know how hard it's going to be. Yep. I, I like that optimism is really powerful, mm. you know, and I think it allowed me to just do things that, um, wouldn't have been possible had I known what was in store, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely, oh, it doesn't. And how, how did you actually go about it? So you explain the reason, like how it came about through that. I mean, that's such a tragic tragic thing. And um, having a student being shot, that is just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sort of, I don't know what to say about it. It's just unbelievable. And um, and that obviously, that was a spark that you had that idea previously, um, but that was a spark that, I guess, got you to take action um and how do you actually start a school like I'm, I'm, <laughs> what's what's the first step you actually have to do yeah so it, it feels hard to distill it all into one step yeah but I think you know the most important thing that I did hands down uh, was I talked to as many people as I could yeah so at that time I <laughs> when I was working as a school social worker, I'd also started um, a coaching business on the side. So I was kind of dabbling, um, you know, in my own entrepreneurship journey at that time. I had done some things on the side that were a little bit separate from my social work job. I had a podcast, which I really loved doing. I had a blog. Um, so I had started things um, that were not as big as a school, but I had started things outside of my my social work job but for the most part my network was people in schools it was social workers and it was teachers and it was principals mm. and and I knew no one and you know gosh I think if I had to really pinpoint what what made this work I can thank one person um I've had a really wonderful mentor named Jim Paglia um, shout out to Jim. And he was someone that I had worked with for some time, just, you know, just bouncing ideas off of and checking in and was always a great source of support. And and he was like, you know, you, you got to talk to people and you, mm -hmm. you need to talk to this person and start there. And he basically gave me a couple of names and I was like, oh, okay, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I'm an introvert. Like, I don't know how to talk to strangers, but I took these meetings and the first couple of meetings that he introduced me to you know, in hindsight, none of them were anything, I don't want to say significant, but they, they weren't people that like joined the board or gave a lot of money. Um, they were people that on this like long journey to open a school, mm. they were just the first little like pebbles of that yep. staircase. But what happens is like those people started to be like, well, talk to these people. And I just kept doing that and having more conversations and learning more about everything that I could, about education, about fundraising, about networking, about who to talk to, like who are the players in Chicago. And, you know, this is just, the networking is just part of the whole thing, of course, of building a school, but I don't think I could have done anything else without that because you have to build a team and that takes that network in the community. You have to raise money and that takes that network in the community. Um, you have to become a trusted, you know, authority figure in the community and that takes the network. Mm. So again, so many different steps yeah. all happening simultaneously, but 
I really think that is so much of it. And like, yeah, sorry. I'm just rambling about how how much I love networking (laughs) because I, and the thing is like, I, I, I hate that word. I actually don't like networking, but I love the power of just like talking to people and Mm -hmm. knowing that that is just where the magic happens, you know? Um, Absolutely. Even if you're not trying to like, and I don't, it didn't, it wasn't transactional. And I, I, for someone is starting this process, like I work with a lot of um, people who are kind of like earlier stage in their entrepreneurship journey. And I talk about this often with clients that I, I never want to feel like it's transactional because at that time Mm. it wasn't like me having these meetings because I wanted something from them. Yep. I just think they're the as part of it is really just one sharing your idea and your dream. And the more that you get it out there, the more that you will start to kind of just attract the right people and the right resources to you. Um, but also just what can you do for the people that you're meeting with too, right? And yeah. adding value to their life. And I think there's just, I don't know, it just it's a I don't know. this is the point i'm like because i have a head cold am i making sense tell me (laughs) oh absolutely i think that's the the beauty of making connections and um being connected to people because you just don't know what comes up um i've definitely had experiences very similar to that like you connect with people nothing real as you said transactional or intentional but over time things do pop up um and it's amazing how it works um so about so once um I guess you had those connections how, how did you actually get a building like was that donate or was that a donation by um an individual or a group of people or how how did that come about where I guess you had actually a location Yeah well the location was uh, you know years down the road it took us yep. 4 years of just building towards opening a school Yep before actually opening the doors um because we you know, the funny thing about opening a school, um, you know, you can open a bunch of different kinds of nonprofits. And if you were going to do like an after school run club, you can do that with, you know, $200, right? Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. so many things that you can do and you can start really small and you can have that like minimal viable product and start small. You can iterate, make changes, like, you know, take it, leave it, change it throw the idea away, but you can't do that with a school. Like you can't like start with like $500. It's like, you're starting with this big, massive product and it can't, it it can't be tested. Like you're starting with the actual finished product. So we had to raise a lot of money. We had to spend years designing the curriculum. We had to build a team of board members, a team of educators to work at the school you know, you have to go through the accreditation process. There's so many things mm. that happened that took four years before actually yep. getting to the school. Um, and I can talk about the building itself, but like the, the like looking back, the building part felt so small in the yeah. scheme of things. Like That's the bigger mean. issue is yeah. just like, yeah. like how are we going to raise millions of dollars and um, all of the steps in between. Oh, that's a, so yeah, four years. That's um, I think for me that that's a long time, but it just shows <laughs> that it's um the passion that you had for it, and that nothing was going to get in your way, and it had to happen. Because I think people come up with ideas, um, but as you said before, like people we don't take action on some of these ideas, and I don't think if you don't take action, then it probably doesn't mean enough to you. So obviously that mm-hmm. meant so much to you to make this school happen, to make a difference to these young people within the Chicago community. And um, so when you say how much, I'm not sure if you can say, but how many, like when you say said raising millions of dollars, how much did it actually cost to get even like the doors open? Oh gosh, I, I can't remember. even tell you, um, but you know, definitely cumulatively millions um, yep. to get to that point. And, and we started small, um, we were, you know, we rented space from a church in our, in our first building. And, you know, that we, we I, I know of other nonprofits who had 
found wonderful deals. Like mm. churches gave them free space. We didn't get free space, but yeah. we got space that was at least affordable and it was safe and it was clean. And so yeah. we, we started where we could. Um, and we stayed there for a few years and then the pandemic hit and that changed things, mm. but that was how we found our first space, but it was very, very challenging, um, to find a building. It just, everything is so expensive in Chicago yeah. and we had a lot of extra hurdles that will be probably not interesting to anyone else, but just very few buildings are zoned for a school. And so it's not just like, where is there space that we can afford? It's like, where is there space that we can afford in the right neighborhood that's already zoned for a school? And so it was tough. Yeah, absolutely. And it, again, it would have been one of those things that took some perseverance to get there, I'm sure. But um, so once it was open, how did students come to go to the school, uh, be it Ryan Banks? Was there an application process or um, how, how, do you, how did students come to at the school yeah so well finding the students was actually a big hurdle also yeah <laughs> excuse me so on the one hand you know we we kept hearing from schools and families who wanted um, a model like this but it also was was difficult to find families um because they didn't know that there was an option like ours out there yep um, and in Chicago, the school system is set up kind of interesting. Like for me, I went to school in Indiana um, and it was like K through five, six through eight, and then ninth grade through 12th grade. And in Chicago, it's typically six through eight and then high school. And yep. so families just weren't used to looking for a new model. We started in, uh, in seventh grade for middle school. Yep. So families just didn't know we were out there. And so it took a ton of work and just marketing and grassroots, like handing out flyers, like putting out thousands of flyers, like in grocery stores and on, you know, cars and things like that. Yep. Um, and it's interesting because I think even though families were asking for a different and better model, there was also, I think, a lot of fear around like testing a new model and just taking the leap um, and pulling your kid out of what they're used to and where yeah. their friends are. Yep. And so, gosh, I always say I have so much respect for our, our, our first year parents because yeah. they, they really took a leap of faith. And I think part of that from what they've told us, part of that is, you know, they were drawn to this model and are focused on social emotional learning and trauma informed care. And they wanted that. Um, we had one family that had been following us on Instagram <laughs> for like four, the whole four years, like waiting for us to open. All right. But I think it also speaks to, they just had so many issues with their, their other school. Like we had a lot of kids who had a lot of scholastic trauma um, mm. at their last school and teachers who, had given up on them um, yeah. and they had given up on themselves. And like one of my favorite stories is a student, <laughs> excuse me, from our first year who was really struggling in his school and our educators went to his family's home to meet with him and the family. And they called me after and kind of said, you know, it, we'd love to, to take the student, but he's, he's really, you know, many, many years behind um, grade level might be tough to get him where he needs to be, but they were like, ultimately that's what the school is for. We want to work with those kids. So let's, let's do this. Mm. And he went from getting, you know, basically failing all of his classes and was going to repeat um, for the third time to getting A's for the first time in his life. Um, and that's a story I love because like, it's so much more about than just the grades. Like that's mm. a student who had totally given up on himself and yeah. his future. And he, you know, from that time at our school, like learned to believe in himself and what he's, you know, got, got in front of him and his future, which I think is exciting. Yeah. That's amazing. That, I mean, what a difference to a person's life. Like, that if, I mean, that's one story. I'm sure there's others, but that's just yeah, incredible that um, I guess, I don't know if it's a turnaround, but like a turnaround that somebody's had in their life through um, what you created. And I guess from um, uh, another question that I had that came to mind 
just then is what, what sort of how, how I guess was the curriculum different from like maybe mainly a school that had come from like a more mainstream one what what sort of I'm not sure um, each day might have been different but what was sort of the main focus I know it was on social emotional learning and, and trauma informed and practice as well but yeah what what was sort of some of the I guess different key differences yeah so that was kind of the the main wrapper was making sure social emotional learning was really baked into the curriculum and so not just having like an hour of of that time a week but making it sure it was yeah. baked into every single class yeah, brilliant. <laughs> um but there there were a lot of other cool things that our teachers did um one of my favorites um and i'm actually blanking on what the name of this class was mix mix explorations i'm not sure um but they had um, a class every quarter where they could really dive into whatever they wanted and um and every subject was integrated into that um and so we had kids working on their own self-study programs that based on one kid did would do coding and another kid would do like researching a local crime and doing like the forensics analysis um and how to integrate math and science and literacy into that self-study um and that was really fun because i you know kind of going back to what i was saying about my childhood i think that was the kind of project that would have driven me in a totally different direction potentially like had I had that chance to really dive into topics that interest me Mm. rather than the curriculum that you know was dictated to us at that time back when I was in high school yeah absolutely Um, so many kids really getting engaged with their schoolwork because they had the opportunity to really like help design it in a way that um that lit them up and they were yeah. still learning like it was very like scaffolded and structured by the teachers too it wasn't a free-for-all mm. um but like we've had kids who have taken those projects and they're still working on like the, the inventions they created um or like the volunteer projects that they created at that time which is really cool mm, absolutely and that's there yeah, I, I love that um, model of learning as well like having a student base what they want to i guess learn about and then as you said like you still incorporate literacy or um yeah numeracy and literacy into those um or those self-centered learning as well that's such a great way to do it and i guess some um, education system doesn't allow for that too much but i mean i think it's getting to that way where more schools are um, leading that way but i think by the sound of it you're quite um ahead of your ahead of the time when you started uh, that way of learning it and um but I was just also interested to know how um, how did you go about recruiting teachers? Was that a challenge? Was it quite easy? Um, you know, a little bit of both. Again, I think um, easy in that a lot of teachers, I think, are really disenfranchised with the system. Yep. And wanted the ability to have more autonomy in the classroom. Yeah. Um, but the tough part was you know, you're asking teachers to give up a pension system, um, and really good pay. And, and I don't, I hope that that does not come across in a negative way. Um, I think teachers deserve the pensions I get and far more, um, teachers work so hard and, you know, that's a, a real value add that they get, um, because they're not making a ton of money uh, on an annual basis. And we, you know, weren't in a position to be able to fund a pension system yeah. um, like most schools uh, in that kind of position aren't. Um, so it was tough to compete in that way. So we definitely found a lot of great teachers who were super creative and wanted the ability to, um, you know, have that autonomy and to really get to dive in and like, be a part of building something from the ground up and leave their mm. fingerprints all over the curriculum. But, yep. um, but also that's, that's tough. And, you know, I posted on LinkedIn about this or something related the other day. I, I don't know the answer to that though, because the answer seems like it's, it's always around funding, you know, yeah. like how can we retain better educators? How can we retain more people in the nonprofit space that don't want to leave because they're sick of being broke and mm-hmm. having student loans. And, you know, it's, it's so problematic to see so many great talented people leaving these professions because of the money and we shouldn't blame them. Like everyone deserves to 
you know, to be compensated and to feel like they don't have to worry about their family's well-being because they want to work in a service-related career. Um, But like having been on the side of the person who pays people salaries, like it's, it's also tough because, you know, like the money is just not there. And, um, you know, it's, it's just not, it's hard to go to a donor and just like, well, I just want to pay our teachers more because they deserve it. Um, that's a whole different like societal shift that I think we need to be making <laughs> in these yeah, fields. Definitely. It's going to probably decades to, to get to. Yeah, no, you make a really good point. And I guess it's, um, it just shows that the, uh, those, I mean, teachers don't necessarily um, staff teaching for the, the money. It's really to make a difference. Um, and that's what obviously coming to your school that's what the teachers had in had in mind but at the end of the day like you know i mean it's a great mentality to have but sometimes i mean obviously we do we live in a world where we do need like money <laughs> to survive and um even have the basic needs and if if um yes yeah, sometimes if that's there's not enough there you have, you have to look at other options but um sounds like the teachers are really committed to the school which is Fantastic. And just one last question about the school with the curriculum. Now, did you have to go through like a, I'm not sure what it'd be called, but like some kind of state education board <laughs> in Chicago or um, how did that, how did that work about putting together a curriculum and I guess then getting it ticked off as an approved or school? I guess I'm not sure if that's yeah, the right we, question, but. <laughs> um, we did and we didn't. So we um, opened as a private school and that was not necessarily by choice um, as much as kind of a, a very hyper local um, decision we had to make. Like our school system at that time had a moratorium on opening new schools and our state had just had um, like a multi-year budget crisis and, and they weren't opening new schools. So we didn't mm-hmm. have access to city funding or state funding. So we opened as a private school because we didn't have any other choice. And yeah. I, I kind of want to put that asterisk there because I went to public school. My father um, was a public school principal for years. Um, my husband's a public school teacher. Like I'm a huge believer in public schools. We were a different kind of private school, like no tuition, totally free for families, so very different than like kind of the typical private school you think of that's charging an arm and a leg, um, all that to say we, as a private school, we did not have to get certified yep. however we wanted to. So we did go through an accrediting body through the Illinois Board of Education. And then there was also an additional layer of certification for um, a private school association that we did. Um, so yes, only because we just thought it was helpful yeah. and and we just kind of wanted to show that we had a great cur- curriculum, but yeah, we did cool. not have to. Yeah, got you. And did the students have to pay, a f- pay fees to go to your school or was that covered by the fund? No, uh, the- no, nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was totally tuition free. So what's really interesting is I think I'm pretty sure we were the only school in Chicago that was not getting any funding from either the city, the state, or um, tuition. Wow. So the only school relying totally on fundraising, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is, oh, that, that's tough to maintain as well, isn't it? Like if there's no funding coming from the state or from those tuition fees, it's, that's, um, it requires many a donor. And, um, also, now I saw something pop up, and I think it was a while ago now, but I think something popped up on something social media, and you were on Ellen, the famous <laughs> TV show Ellen, um, in America, I'm sure that or Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Um, how, how did that come about to be on that show? Do you guys, do you guys have the Ellen show out there? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah it's very popular. Like it's um, how yeah, funny. yeah, most people in Australia, I think, around the world probably are familiar with it. That's crazy. You know what? It's I I I always I forget that that happened until you bring it up. But I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> so that was such a wild story. Um, I wrote to Ellen many times. Um, yep. I sent Ellen videos. You know what? It wasn't just Ellen. I wrote to Oprah and a couple of select others that I thought could be really helpful to her school. Excuse yep. me. And I never heard back. And um, I I left my school in in 2021, and 
I had been, you know, working in a, in a different position. Um, I'm no longer at the school formally, like still, you know, following the school and, and, and whatnot, of course. Um, but they, they called me and yeah, I ended up on the show and it was absolutely wild. Um, I still can't believe that it happened to this day. Um, you didn't ask about this and, and maybe I shouldn't just go there, but the, the thing that I do think about now though, when I think about the Ellen show, I think kind of two big themes that come up for me. One, just the fact that, you know, man, <laughs> um, crazy dreams can come true. Yes. And that was such a cool experience. Um, the best part for me was, I don't know if you, you watched the clip, but they showed some of our students on video and a couple of our students got to speak to the camera. And yeah. that was uh, one of my favorite lifetime moments that I'll never forget. Yeah. Um, and I'm just happy that our kids had that experience to get to, you know, to have the world see them and for the world to hear about Ryan and his story. Um, but the, the other thing that comes up and, and forgive me for taking this in a different direction, but um, I was interviewed on the on show by Twitch, um, who was someone who I was a big fan of. And that was a really awesome experience for me to get to be interviewed by him on the yeah. on show. Yeah, yeah I did watch it. Him. Yeah, it's really, I'll put in the show notes, the actual uh, clip so people can watch it. And Twitch later died by suicide. And mm, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a good answer or, or like way to wrap up that statement other than mm. um, it, it's heartbreaking. And I think that, you know, when he, when that happened, the world felt so shocked. I felt so shocked because the world knew Twitch as someone who was so happy and lighthearted. And that's the experience that I had with him meeting him. Yeah. And I think it just really goes to show that we never really know how people are feeling deep down yeah. and just the importance of destigmatizing um you know the mental health world and the importance of providing access to mental health and mm -hmm. you know that goes for kids that goes for teachers that goes for celebrities like i mean that's i think so critical for all of us yeah yeah absolutely it's no it's a that's it, an amazing story how you got on there and just the perseverance as well um because you could have just wrote once and that was it, but you kept, you kept going and eventually <laughs> yeah. eventually came about. And I think um, watching the clip, I, um, I think they gave a donation to the school as well, didn't they? They did. They that did. was yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. They got to do some like cool art projects as a result, which was awesome. That's right. Excellent. Yeah. When you mentioned the pandemic before, did that, did that, that, that would have had, I'm assuming that would have had a huge impact on the school and and you mentioned also now oh, that you're not at the school anymore. So I mean, it's a bit of a two, probably it's two separate questions, but sort of rolled kind of into one. So what are you up to now, Val, that um, you're not at uh, Ryan Banks currently? Yeah, well, I, I, I can answer the pandemic question first. Um, the pandemic question or, or time was was very hard, <laughs> excuse me, on, on us as well as, of course, all the nonprofits. Um, having to move to a virtual setting mm. was was really tough. But our teachers did an awesome, awesome job. Um, we had teachers, you know, taking birthday cakes to our kids at their homes during COVID oh, and well. bringing them school supplies and all sorts of great stuff. Um, and so, unfortunately, I you know I I left the school in 2021, and about a year, a year and a half later, um, the board decided to close the doors of the school. Um, it was, oh. you know, I, I think in short, um, just another example of of nonprofits that weren't able to make it through the pandemic. Yeah. Um, before the pandemic hit, we were actually on a really good path. Um, I had been doing a ton of lobbying and legislative work and we had actually gotten funding um lined up from the state and then everything was paused with the with the pandemic oh. and no new funding for new initiatives and so we 
um, really kind of were set back from that, um, which was really disheartening and, and yeah. still is like, I still hear from families, um, as recently as the summer who will reach out and be like, you know what, like, it's, it's just not the same. We're so grateful for that time. Like yeah. our kids better spot but like it's just you know breaks our heart that we had to close the school um mm. because they did feel like they got such a, a great wraparound experience there that you just can't replicate everywhere yeah exactly but um, what, a, what a great thing to be able to do though about like you've obviously got something out of that you control like the pandemic like but before that the difference that you made um and your teachers to those students <laughs> lives like is something like which is truly amazing and something to be Oh, really proud of for your whole life really um it's just an amazing thing I, when when i learned about you starting a school i was just man that is like incredible that someone can actually be so passionate to actually start a school um because you can just imagine <laughs> how hard it would be like the i guess the oh, the process like the just knowing where to start for a start <laughs> and then all those little things that happen along the way. And as you said, you probably, if you knew how hard it was going to be, it's one of those things where you <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't actually do it, but because you're a bit, as you said, optimistic going in, like you just, you just do it, don't you? And it's, yeah, it's, it's what a credit to you and, and your team that you did it with. And, and what are you doing? What are you up to now since, um since leaving Ryan Banks? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I, I have worn a lot of different hats <laughs> over the past probably 15 years. Yep. Um, so we talked about being nonprofit founder, CEO, working as a school social worker, um, coaching, blogging, podcasting. <laughs> um, I spent the last couple of years working at a mental health company, um, which was really, really fun. Um, so I've changed roles in some ways since then. There's a couple of roles that have been consistent. Um, I've, you know, pretty much always been doing writing of some kind. I've written a couple books. Hmm. One is a nonfiction book. One is fiction. Um, always kind of have some other things in the works there. Um, have been doing coaching either kind of part-time or full-time for quite some time now. Um, love getting to work with anyone that has a big idea, but in particular, I really love working with other social workers. Um, educators, other people from helping professions that have big ideas and how they want to change the world. Love working with founders of all kinds. Um, I just think those are my people and I love being a part of like those exciting missions to make the world a better place. Mm. Um, I do a little bit of consulting. Um, I still do some speaking. Um, I recently got certified to teach yoga, which I mentioned I have been teaching yoga um, for some time yeah. without being certified yeah. um, and formally got certified. So I'm hoping to weave that more into the work that I'm doing with coaching and consulting. And you know what? I, I actually am not even really talking about this publicly, but why not? Um, scoop. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a new um, kind of initiative that I am exploring and not quite to the point of like I'm diving in it's happening this year but yeah. um I really wanted to create um like a brick and mortar space that focuses on yoga and other mm. wellness initiatives yeah. here in Chicago Not so really cool. I yeah I'm just kind of very very early stage um researching and planning and kind of seeing what might be possible there um and it, yeah it feels very reminiscent of where I was before and like yeah. we're talking about like I don't know what I'm doing in this yeah. space and <laughs> that's kind of scary but also kind of like okay uh, well <laughs> yeah. um yeah. you know I'll, you'll figure it out so yeah absolutely and it seems like you like you come like it's nearly full circle I guess if that's the right expression where you mentioned is like when you were younger like selling vegetables being very entrepreneurial and uh you sort of come back oh, i guess the journey's been like that in a way with the school and then um coming back now to the, like the idea with the yoga speaking consulting it's the whole um i guess entrepreneurial business type world you're involved in as well and obviously trying to make a difference um in people's lives as well so i think um you know we've had a, a great chat today Val, and um you know, really appreciate your time and i just want to acknowledge the passion that you have to make a difference um 
in our world and it's just incredible the uh the things that you've achieved and i'm sure you will continue to achieve um moving to the future but yeah i'm just totally blown away by that you started the school i don't know who can say they've started a school maybe there's a handful of people um that have done it i guess on their own but i guess with mainly with a team of people but it was your idea and um i just yeah totally admire that and really appreciate you um having a chat with us and hopefully um yeah people have been inspired by um listening to your story and really wanting to uh, go the extra mile to make a difference and really appreciate you having this chat with us about um and thank you very much yeah thank you i appreciate your kind words and the uh, the idea of starting something so big I know it does seem crazy, but I'll tell you, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, yeah. So if anyone is listening and they have their own like kind of wild, audacious goal that people might think, you know, is is a little bit too big, I really encourage them to keep going after it. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I really have learned anything is possible. And um, even though our school isn't open to this day, I still consider it a massive success story. Well, definitely. Um, we, I, Arnie Duncan, uh, the former U.S. Secretary of Education here in the U.S., um, who also ran the school system here in, in Chicago for some time, and he told me when we opened, he's like, you know what, <laughs> opening a school is the hardest thing I've ever done, and he, you know, basically worked for the president and did bigger things in the world, um, and I just, you know, when you've, when you have a big vision and you've, you you care enough and you have the passion i really truly believe anything is possible and that sounds corny man i i really believe it though yeah, it's, it's it's the case so just yeah. if anyone's listening you know go after all those those crazy dreams you have yeah no absolutely no i really appreciate those words Val. and uh, as i mentioned before thank you very much for your time and and for joining us today and um i'll put in the show notes um the clip of the ellen uh, from the ellen show um and also <laughs> Um, maybe um, LinkedIn. I think you've got a personal brand website. So I might put those on so people can uh, uh, find out a bit more about you. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks again. All right, excellent. Thanks, Bea.